Hi, welcome to Unapologetically Anxious Me. I am Jo, and this is our third episode. I am so excited how everything's been going. I've gotten a lot of feedback from you guys, and you seem to really be enjoying the episodes and the topics, so I will keep doing that for you. I'm going to actually talk to you first about my show that I just created locally, Voices Talk Show. And I'm really excited about this project because it's become my baby. It's been the big thing that I've been wanting to do for so long and to actually see it happening is such a big deal for me. So this past Friday, we actually had our launch party for the talk show. We went live on YouTube. We're also on Alexandria Community TV Channel 181, I believe. It was surreal. It was nice to see all the things that I'd been stressing over <laughs> for the last like year plus actually come to fruition and to see how well it was received. The party was a lot of people. Like we actually had a pretty good turnout. I'm pretty sure it was a majority of the residents at the Grand Arbor. <laughs> but it was nice to be in a room with people who really accepted me and really understood my journey and how I got here. It was nice to to feel that love and support. Everybody was so welcoming and I can tell that Everyone's really excited to see more episodes. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check that out. I've gotten so many responses. One of the best things I think that I heard the whole night was from one of the women that I had met over the last few months in getting set up for the Voices Talk Show. We had a discussion where she was basically telling me there's no such thing as white privilege. It was a very uh, interesting interaction between us it was the first time I'd met her and of course I didn't tell her anything um, but it was one of those typical greetings for me at least I think it's typical when it comes to Alexandria you know I I say hi you say hi you get into uh, you know oh my gosh where are you from and people are touching my hair at all times no matter who you are, <laughs> I've had it happen at grocery stores without even asking. And a big part of the episode was me talking about how that feels to be on the receiving end of that and to be getting that all the time. And while I appreciate the curiosity and I appreciate people loving my style, because <laughs> yes, I do work very hard to do it, it's so weird when you're in a new situation where someone doesn't know you and their hands are on you so when she heard about heard that part in the episode at the end she came up to me and was like I touched your hair when we first met and I didn't even think about it later on she had a conversation with a friend who is like I dyed my hair purple and she said that it, no one touched my hair nobody's ever done that to me and it, it, I think it was cool that she realized where that could get uncomfortable and that she actually understood it from my perspective for the first time I felt a lot of that that night we talked about a lot of things we actually went on this tangent about immigration which was really insightful to see how many people were engaged and really wanted to be part of a big change and helping so that that was a big deal for me and I just I, I loved 
finally feeling like I am part of the community and I'm not just visiting. I, I think that I can finally stop saying like I'm new here <laughs> because I do say that a lot and a lot of people were just like, how how are you new? You've been here for four years. The reality is because of how traumatic the first two years of us being here was, I, I spent a lot of time indoors and I think that I, I, I had a slight case of agoraphobia and I don't know exactly when it happened in that process I just know it was a lot of interactions that were big and that felt threatening for me and so it came at a time when I wasn't sure what that meant and it it made me anxious it made me feel unsafe and that's a that's that's been something that I'm constantly working on I'm constantly um, trying to feel like I'm not in a threatening position and so that was it was nice to actually finally feel like there's people who are here for me and actually care for me and that's cool so that was nice a lot of that has been interesting because everyone I know right now I've communicated with (laughs) everyone I know out there if you actually know me I have talked to you at some point in the last two weeks which has been kind of cool and everyone's just feedback has been so positive the biggest thing for me has been my sister's big approval of me actually doing all this and my sister is older than me about four years her name's Carlene and we've had a really interesting relationship we were both raised by first generation immigrants but uh, she was born in St. Martin and I was born here in the States our upbringing was pretty similar actually but I do believe that because we're a few years apart from her perspective it was a lot different and while we probably were seeing and being exposed to the same things we never talked about it and I I think that that's just a thing that I'm learning was just a part of our family that's just who we were I think our parents just kind of conditioned us to be that way where we have to keep home at home and family that you're actually dealing with, you gotta keep it all in the family. And I think that was a lot of pressure on both of us because we really wanted to please our parents as I think any kid does. So I think that we both have that running on the treadmill trying to be a specific way to get our parents approval. We both have that same journey, but it went very, very differently for us. So after putting all this stuff out, I really haven't spoken to my parents much about my career now and what I'm doing because we are so different. and. Let me tell you, like I was a journalism major in college and just telling them that I was a journalism major was a lot like telling your parents that you're a porn star. (laughs) And while that sounds crazy to most people, but I think this is a lot of non-American cultures. Everyone wants you to be an engineer or a doctor or that's it. (laughs) And in the Haitian culture, like medical engineering, Um, those are the things that are seen as like respectable careers. My sister became a nurse. She is very, very successful in that field. She's doing a lot more than just nursing at this point. She read the script. She followed the script. 
and she did it right. While she was actually the one of me and my three sisters who had the most dramatic teenage years, she was the one who did all the crazy rebellious things. Um, so it's so insane that she's like the golden child <laughs> of the three of us. I know, Caroline, you don't believe it. It's true. <laughs> But, like, at this point in our lives, she really is. You know, she, um, her husband is exactly what we were all bred to marry. <laughs> you know, he is a church boy. He is very respectful, super patient, and very much of the culture. And he knows how to speak with our parents and say all the right things and do all the right things. And I love him. He's amazing. He's the perfect guy for my sister. We were not all so lucky. <laughs> I think that whatever I was going to come with to at the end after that was going to always be... Um, problematic. <laughs> it would always be viewed as not the right path in comparison to what she was bringing to the table. Um, but I think that was, of course, after many years of growth and um, evolving and going through a lot of growing pains, she came to this point. So I think that her journey, while it might have been similar, it was different in those ways. And she basically just was telling me how proud of me she is and how incredible she feels like I am for actually coming out and being public about the struggles me and my family have had in this town and actually trying to do something about it. And that just made me feel like over the moon excited because having my family's approval means so much and I feel so distanced from my family at this point in my life that seeing those words in a text message was everything and so um thank you for that caroline i really appreciate that we go carlene caroline she goes by all of them <laughs> i'm just really really blessed that i was able to have that moment with her and i can't wait till she comes and visits next month because I'm really, really nervous about my parents actually coming to visit me for the first time in four years. Um, they feel like they have moved past. <laughs> they have moved past the craziness of our arguments and the thing that led me here. They're they're just really excited to like reconnect, which is a big deal for me. And it's a big deal for my family that I've created because me and my husband has not been on the same page with them. And they actually, for the first time, addressed him in four years. Yeah, on our anniversary this past June, which is such a big deal for us. I think that he's in a place that even though he was wildly hurt by them, he's ready to move forward to and do what's best for our kids um, because they deserve grandparents even though we didn't have them around growing up. And so I think that's why it's such a big deal that we kind of put our family together. I can't even say back together because I don't think we ever were truly together to begin with. And we're in a different place and we have so many things to celebrate. And me and my sister have always said that we want our children to grow up 
together. My oldest sister, we didn't get that opportunity and her kids are at least a decade older than our kids, if not more. But I think that we still have a chance to do that, so I'm excited. So I'm gonna go ahead and talk a little bit more about my parents, Haitian upbringing, and a lot of the details in terms of what I spoke about last episode. But we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Have you ever looked at a situation and thought, yikes, somebody should have told them what to do? Hi, that's me. I'm Heather, and I'm the host of the podcast, You Should Have Asked Me First. I look at events in pop culture and things that are just generally going on in the world around us and tell the folks involved how they could have made it better. My podcast is full of correct opinions and 2020 hindsight. And even if I get it wrong, it'll still be boldly told. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's just the truth. Listen to You Should Have Asked Me First on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. So the last episode was very, very hard for me. It was really hard to get through um, because of the little bit of my relationship with my parents that kind of came through in that my upbringing with my parents have been very difficult it's kind of like that for a lot of Haitian kids especially being raised in the states you are always in this battle between your American culture and your Haitian culture so being in this bicultural tug of war in a sense it really impacts the way you feel the way you navigate the world and the way that you view other people I think with a lot of Haitian parents our biggest thing is just the toxicity that's involved and how they bring the values from the island to an American mindset. A lot of a lot of Haitian kids, Haitian American kids, you're kind of in this place where you're trying to grow, you're trying to understand yourself, you're trying to like take the reins on your life, but you're also being pulled back by your parents who are holding you to a certain standard career-wise, educationally, success in general you're definitely always on this line of trying to make your parents happy versus make yourself happy that is something I think that I have struggled with my entire life being that my parents were first generation immigrants they were in a world that was completely unknown to them they were coming from completely different backgrounds than I was being raised in. They were going from being people who had to like hunt and gather almost literally and living off of land and every day was survival. Every day was something different. They didn't they weren't raised in a place where they could go to a store and buy meat and a package. You know, they weren't raised in a place where they can talk to their parents and tell them this is how I'm feeling it's just not part of who they were or their upbringing which I think definitely affected a lot of how they raised us so one of the biggest things about Haitian parenting in general is the exposure I think we have 
to pretty much everyone. <laughs> I think because in the Haitian mindset, everybody who in the States, everyone who's Haitian is Haitian and they're trustworthy and they're, therefore kind of gets treated like family. And I think that mindset, when you're in a very tough lifestyle where you are doing jobs that nobody else will do in, in the States or you're pretty much working your ass off to try to stay you know legal and to have all these things that um, immigrants have to deal with and not being from the country especially in the 90s I think that a lot of things just kind of got swept under the rug where they weren't even seen at all Jessie Wu is actually a very popular Haitian comedian she was on love and hip-hop she talks a lot about this and she talks a lot about how Haitian parenting glosses over sexual assault it glosses over things that would put your family in a bad light which also you know consequently left us very vulnerable to those things there's so many situations in my life where I was around people I shouldn't be around men who didn't see my age as an issue and it, and it really affected the way that I grew up the way that I viewed my parents because they were dealing with so much I think really early on I felt the need to keep things from them just as they kept things from everyone else I felt the need to protect them and not make their lives harder because if you're a child of immigrants, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to see your parents struggle, to see them spoken to in any kind of way. There were so many times when I heard, go back to your own country, or you don't belong here, or speak English. And by seven, I was their interpreter. I was helping them navigate these things and sticking up for them at banks or at insurance places when somebody was speaking to them in a demeaning way and not understanding that they just had a language barrier, they're not deaf. I think that that definitely took me and my sisters out of our innocence as children. It robbed us of our innocence. They were working so hard for things that people took for granted every day. I think that in this political climate, with immigration being such a hot-button topic, I think people have a really hard time understanding what it's like to be on the other side. I recently was having a conversation with an African-American friend who is from Alexandria and is an American person, so she, does, uh, she doesn't quite understand immigration. When you come into this country illegally, your first offense is a misdemeanor. The second time you come in, you are a felon. So her thing was, I don't understand why you would go and take your family, children, to a country that you know you're coming in as a criminal. And what was so shocking to me when I heard that from her was, what they're running from is so much harder, so much worse than being a felon, having a record, going to prison. All those things are probably not quite as bad if you are being trafficked 
if you are starving, if you are born a crime in your country and your parents didn't follow something that was a religious obligation or some sort of cultural standard. I have so many friends who had their family not come here, they wouldn't exist. Had their family not taken that risk, they wouldn't exist. In the 90s, it was just off the boat and those things were real. In the Haitian community, I was part of watching people hide and watching people literally be terrified for their lives or their families' lives and being sent back because getting sent back meant that you'd be killed. And and that that's really, I think it's our comfortable American cushy lives make us completely tone deaf to what is happening outside of this country and the fact that we don't all have the privileges that we have as Americans. I think that's been something that's been on my mind a lot because I realize that even in this small community in Alexandria that even they are unaware of the immigration problems that are happening locally. Um, just this past Friday when we had the launch party, we, at the end at the Q&A, we actually had a conversation about immigration and how people in our own community are hiding. Farmers in this area and, and the agriculture in this area is a big part of the economy in Minnesota. Farmers are actually suffering, their businesses are suffering because no one's showing up to work because people are so scared. There's so much money, so much red tape that's around becoming a legal alien in this country. It's not easy. It's not as easy as it probably is for someone coming from Britain who's white or someone coming from Canada who's white. And and I think that it, we really need to do our best in this country to make empathizing a natural part of how we government. I assume that that's probably what they thought they were doing, but the laws in this country are only meant to protect a very specific type of person. And if you're not that and you don't fall in line with that, you're automatically in a place of danger. And this country should feel safe for everybody, which is part of the reason why we came here in the first place. We were escaping religious persecution. The Puritans came here because they wanted to be in a place where they weren't judged because of how they wanted to carry their lives out or the lifestyle or the religion they chose. So it's so insane to me. It's so ass backwards <laughs> to realize that we're in this time where we're somehow fighting people who are from other countries when we came here on the same exact principles. It's just sad to me. Anywho, <laughs> moving on. The Epstein um, suicide. And I am so not surprised in a way. I, I definitely think that there was a, there's a lot more that we're not being told as a um, public. I think that 
that was definitely shady. But here's the thing. We are in this culture, this Me Too culture, where we are just now exposing sexual deviance. We're exposing sexual violence. And men are terrified. Men are terrified. And I don't care. (laughs) I don't care simply because I have heard so much over the last year plus about how men feel like they don't know how to act well. Guess what? We don't know how to act either. We can't look a certain way. We can't dress a certain way. We can't talk a certain way without feeling like something might happen to us. And it really sucks to be a woman in this country and to have to walk around always in fear of being raped. Always in fear of what we can possibly do to push a man over that edge I don't care (laughs) I don't care that men are are feeling so targeted and what do we do well how about you just start with asking consent is so elementary I don't understand why it's something that we're, we're struggling with I do believe that in these situations like Cosby, Harvey Weinstein. I think that they are escalated and something is being done about it because there's more white women that are victims of those situations versus black women. And that brings me to R. Kelly. R. Kelly has been doing what he's now in jail for and in the process of being taken down for for almost 30 years. This man literally called himself the Pied Piper of music and he literally referred to himself as a pedophile and the fact that we're just now taking account and actually holding this man responsible for his actions it's so sad because the victims of this man were little black girls I realize having been a little black girl myself, were not taken seriously. I don't know if it goes back to the fact that there's this asinine idea that black women don't experience pain the way white women do. I don't know if it's because we're black women, so we're automatically everything that would be considered normal for a white woman we're actually criticized for it we're actually told that black women and girls are seen as sexual objects and seen in a way that is not innocent at all in comparison to white women who are in the exact same positions when I saw Surviving R. Kelly I wrote about it in Definitive Woman magazine and it was so important for me to tell that story. I remember just being new to the magazine and being an editor. Well, I'm the associate editor for the magazine. I have to still run everything I do by the owners. And one of the owners, he was like, I don't think anyone in our community knows who R. Kelly is or cares. That's the problem. (laughs) That would be the issue. The fact that we do not take into account what men are doing when it's being done or victimizing specific races 
is so disgusting. It's so heartbreaking because the things that this man did to these women, it broke them. It turned them into something completely different. And watching that documentary, you didn't have to be somebody who knew R. Kelly or was a fan of his music to know that this was a monster and that he deserves what he's getting right now. So um, in 2002, R. Kelly was actually tried for the sex tape that he had with the 14-year-old girl who was peed on. It was disgusting. This is depravity on a whole another level. I think that the way that that went away for him was because he was who he was and he paid the family off. He paid so many people off to kind of stay in his corner. So when that case was being tried she didn't show up to testify which um, essentially is what got him exonerated the fact that he was let go of the exact same crimes all these things happened right under the noses of people R. Kelly came into the music business when he was married to Aaliyah who is 15 years old. The point I'm making is that this was there. We didn't say anything. We didn't see it as wrong because of who he is, because his music is seducing. (laughs) It's amazing. It makes us feel good. I was one of those people, like when I was younger, I... Like, my entire teenage years, I lived on TP2. (laughs) Me and my friends loved that album. We knew every single word to every song and could probably do it in order on top of that. And he was somebody who we really had a lot of respect for because of his position. I'm so glad that they are sticking it to this dude now and there's no way he's going to walk out of this alive. In terms of all these guys and the, the wild accusations around their names and the horrible things that they actually did, it's so, it's actually really satisfying to watch. <laughs> um, maybe it's because I am a victim of sexual assault. I've been in that position. I know what it's like to have something taken away from you from somebody who feels that they have some sort of power over you. It makes me feel really good to see these people getting what they deserve. My husband was actually just telling me about how um, he was at a bar recently locally in Alexandria who was playing R. Kelly music. The DJ was playing R. Kelly music. I think he actually said the band, or was it a live band that spoke, that was actually singing R. Kelly's music and everybody in the bar was dancing. Everybody's in the bar dancing. Everybody's totally okay with it. And it kind of goes to show how behind Alexandria is in terms of progression and actually being aware of these things. Because while I'm sure this band covering one of their songs was not... Um, he was not profiting in any way. 
I think if we all had the exact same attitude and canceled our Kelly, <laughs> we would be in so, such a better position of actually believing women. And I think it's really hard to see that even in this day and age and the times that we're in and all the stuff that's come out about men who we admire being um, these people, it, it it's shocking to see so many men that I grew up with uh, believe that the women are somehow out to get them. And it's so insane to me because when a woman is raped and 50 men will call her a whore, <laughs> but when... A woman says that she was sexually assaulted. Nobody believes her. No one believes that that's even possible. And I think that's crazy. I think it's crazy that it's easier for us to believe women to be these these like sirens <laughs> who walk around just like no woman wants to be identified as that. By the time you get to the place where you actually are saying this happened to me out loud there's been so much internal work being done to get to that place that it is heartbreaking to hear people immediately go to well we don't know the story why do we need to know all the details all of the story to even believe that that woman was not treated right and she was a victim of something even in the case of Aziz Ansari that was definitely a clear case of bad date gone wrong you know but it goes again to the fact that we are more willing to paint a woman as a gold digger or after something or being the one in the wrong versus just saying hey is it possible that he just made her feel a little uncomfortable and his advances were not consensual and that, yeah, she felt pressured to do something? That's a lot of women I know. There's You probably do not know many pe- women who haven't been in a sexual harassment situation. And I really think it's essential for us to move forward as a society to actually have men come to our defense to check your friends you know tell your friends when they're doing something wrong tell your friends when you see them treating women like shit if we actually paid attention to these things and were on the side of protecting women we wouldn't feel like our our heroes are being punctured like we're somehow losing our um, childhood heroes like Cosby and people we really respected in entertainment because it's 1000% possible to be a shitty person and be a good person as well evil does not discriminate it doesn't see black white age women men it it just is what it is and we need to be better about holding these heroes quote unquote responsible we need to be better about acknowledging that that women matter and that women um, should be believed 
because no woman puts themselves in a position of having to be open about something like this without truly considering what they're losing in the process. And that's about it. I want to thank you so much for listening. Um, It's so important to me that I keep being open and I keep being honest and I keep pulling out all these things that I think are so necessary to talk about. Shout out to everyone who has been subscribing and listening. Keep doing that. I appreciate all of your support and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Unapologetically Anxious Me is written and produced by Joe Ciceron and is recorded, edited, and produced by Heather Hypley. Subscribe to Unapologetically Anxious Me on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. 